All right, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. Well, we're getting into the really sweet stuff. Last week it was the marriage feast of the Lamb and the bride, you and I. We're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Tonight we have the Lord Jesus appearing in the skies and the second coming. And before we get moving in all this, I'd like to sort of define some terms and just help us in our, our understanding of revelation and prophecy in general. Um, as we think of what I believe is a biblical position, we find coming to the end days, we find the churches in the book of Revelation. And we're in the age of grace or the church age. And we took those seven churches to have a couple different meanings, literally seven original churches, and then seven attitudes of uh, churches, but then seven periods leading up to the very rapture that's going to come. And, and that seventh period is a Laodicean period, which is a, the church that's rich and thinks it's all got all the answers. But really, when you put on your spiritual glasses, they're naked and blind and, and all the rest. And boy, America's a lot like that. We think we got it all together, big buildings and all the rest. God says, if you could see you're spiritually, you're starving to death and you're, and you're naked and you're blind. And so that is sort of the attitude of that seventh age, that seventh church. At the end of that seventh church in Revelation chapter 3, remember, we have the rapture. And so the church is not mentioned again uh, through these next many chapters. The church is gone. And so before you even get into the tribulation and all the other things, the church is gone. And then you have in chapters 4 and 5 the revealing of God in heaven and the book is going to be open to redeem the earth, and nobody can do it. And Jesus, the lamb slain for the foundation of the world, steps forward and says, I can. And all the heavens break open with glorious applause because the lamb is willing. And we talked about that last week. He is that kinsman redeemer. And he's willing to assert that he has the ability, he has the relationship, and he's willing to do it. And we find last week he actually did it, and he now claims his bride, and he, he marries that, that bride. And after we get done tonight, we're going to find Jesus actually presenting himself now on the earth. And he's going to set up a kingdom. And it's going to be a thousand-year reign. We call that the millennium. Milli means a thousand. Annum, a thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And after that thousand-year reign, there's going to be a, a time of judgment. And, and then there's a new heaven, a new earth, and all these different things that come up. So when you talk about prophecy, you'll meet somebody. And maybe, like, you, like say you move and you're going to a new church and you're trying to figure out, you know, here I'm in California, or here I'm in, you know, Washington, why would you go there? I'm not sure. But you go to that church wherever you're at, and they'd say, what is your prophetic position? And I believe what you're looking for in, is, usually has to do with the tribulation, your pre-tribulation, the pre-tribulation rapture. You have uh, some positions where they don't believe in the rapture. Uh, they don't. Uh, they believe in a mid-tribulation, right? When you know when the when the antichrist reveals himself, it's a mid-tribulation. And then the other group you have is they relate to the millennial position, and you have those that are post-millennial. And post always means after. And all these events and Jesus, it's all after the millennium. And all these things that we're talking about, Jesus coming, is not, they don't interpret, they make that all symbolic. And so um, what we have taught in our revelation is what we would call a, a um, literal interpretation of Scripture. We laid down this uh, a couple of years ago, we laid down this rule that unless a passage of Scripture indicates that it's symbolic, we are going to take it literally. And uh, if you were, were to do a lot of ride, lot, wide reading, people that want to rearrange Scripture try to make everything in the book of Revelation symbolic of some sort. There are symbols in the book of Revelation, but they're not to be taken that way unless indicated so. So just get us back at where, where I'm trying to get us some teaching here. We would say, relating to the tribulation, we believe that we're taking out beforehand. So we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. 
And you're part of the church when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're part of the body, the body of bride of Christ. And, and then in that seven years that then is triggered, that tribulation period called Jacob's Trouble and all these other kinds of uh, nicknames, during that seven years, we're in heaven. And there is where the judgment seat of Christ takes place. And that's where we get those righteous robes. And then we get all those different things that we're going to have at the wedding feast, in my opinion. And at the end of the tribulation, then the bride comes. And we're going to come back with the Lord Jesus. And tonight we're going to come back. That's part of what's, what's going to happen. And then you have that thousand. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. Amen? And so uh, these are important things for it. You see, I don't understand all the details. I hope you'll grow in it. Uh, a good book, I just finished teaching it with the teenagers, is to go back and read the book of Daniel. Just go back and try to study it. And I will offer this, the last four chapters of the book of Daniel, I've actually put online so that uh, my, my class could hear them. If you want to uh, pick up on about chapter 8 or 9, wherever it is that we started, you're welcome to listen to those and uh, be a blessing to you. To uh, I've already taught them out and be a blessing. But uh, understanding the book of Daniel is a great help. Daniel and Revelation are very hooked. Let's talk about a couple of things that uh, are in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel talks about the great, big, tall uh, image, and it has an image, a head of gold, it has arms of silver, and, and then it goes down into brass, and then it goes down into legs and feet of iron, and the feet and the toes are mixed clay. And these represent Gentile history. This is Gentile history. And one of the things that will help you in prophecy is to understand, are we talking about Israel? Or are we talking about the unsaved Gentile history? And so when Daniel was taken captivity, in captivity, the king had a dream. And he was that head of whole gold, Nebuchadnezzar. And it goes through then, and God reveals to Daniel all the kingdoms, the major kingdoms of the world, until you get to the toes, those ten toes. And those ten toes are the end-time tribulation kings uh, that, that come out, and uh, there is a great big rock that comes from heaven. We're going to refer to that tonight. And that stone comes down and hits that image in the feet, and that image falls, and, and it's a picture of the end of Gentile domination on the world. And then Christ now, being that rock, swells and fills the earth. This is a picture of Christ now ruling the whole world. And it's not ruled by Gentiles. Daniel got to see all of this uh, in, in the book of Daniel. And each chapter, so in the last, especially the last half of Daniel, really magnifies that. He's given 70 weeks are determined upon his people. And that is Jewish. It's not Gentile. So we go back and forth in trying to understand these things. In Jewish history, you don't have a picture of the Church of Grace, the Age of Grace. It's just not there because the Age of Grace is for the Gentiles. And so you go back and forth. Uh, uh, what we're going to find tonight and what we find uh, with Armageddon and all the things, that's Armageddon is next week, this is going to be the end, of Jew, uh, the end of Gentile domination. And Jesus has come to reassert God on the throne. Jesus has been given, remember what he's done, he's redeemed the whole world. And he is now sitting on the throne. And so it's a, a lot of things, I, I can't get it all to you at once, but I hope I haven't confused you. But these are big terms for us to understand, millennial, Ah, millennial, somebody does, some people believe we'll live right into the millennium and there's none of this that you're not going to be there. You're going to have to, I, I've heard a lot of people during this um, uh, COVID thing, this, they'll take a lot of verses right out of things that have to do with the tribulation. Guess what? I'm not going to be here. And so anything that people try to take out of the book of Revelation and say, oh, that's fulfilling, COVID is fulfilling something like that, they're flat wrong. They're just wrong because the church is going to be gone. Are you still here? Yeah. So don't let them mix. See, they, they tend to mix the verses up. And even tonight, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 in a little bit. Chapter 24 and 25, when I was a young preacher, often I tried to mix those verses up to have to do with the rapture of the church and Jesus coming in the skies. Um, they have to do with the second coming. 
And there's a little book. I think you can get it online anymore. It's called Divide, Rightly Dividing Truth. And it goes through a lot of things that are twos in the Bible. You've got to understand that you can't make Israel and the church, you can't mix up their history. And um, you can't mix up the time of law with grace. You can't mix. And so this little pamphlet, you might write it down to look it up. Uh, Divine the Truth by C.I. Schofield is a very excellent little book to help you understand. And often people that just have a little surface knowledge of prophecy or scripture, they try to take things for Israel and put them on the church. Take things that are on the church and try to make them on Israel. And you've got to learn to rightly divide. So I hope that if you didn't understand it, at least makes your appetite so you want to go understand it. And uh, I, I thank the Lord when I was a young man, my pastor preached on prophecy for four years, every Sunday night forever. And I didn't realize I was really being helped to divide the truth. To me, it just seems so obvious because I was taught it young. But I know for many people it's confusing. And I hope the book of Revelation has become a little more understandable to you as we've come along. So let's just review and we'll get right into the message. What's happened in chapter 17 and 18? We've come to the end of opening all those seals. Jesus is now redeeming his bride in chapter 19. But before chapter 19, 17 and 18, remember Babylonianism is pushed off. What's Babylonianism? That is Satan's fingers all over this world. That evil, that evil uh, is all put to, and in chapter 17 he puts down the whore. And that's the spiritual evil. And in chapter 18 he puts down that one world government and he breaks down uh, the economic and, and uh, political power and now he's going to reassert spiritually in chapter 19, okay? He's reasserting the spiritual and political domination of the world. And he begins chapter 19 with the Alleluias. Remember the four Alleluias? Alleluia! 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 And remember the fourth one? Amen! Alleluia! Followed by Jesus claiming the bride. And the bride has on these righteous garments and welcome to the feast, welcome to those that are called to the feast. And then we have tonight, turn your Bible, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Let's read these verses, and then we'll have a word of prayer, please. Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were written... Many crowns were, uh, and on his he uh, head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is our Savior being presented to the earth, his actual second coming. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that we would be able to at least scratch the surface of this in a way that will help us to understand the power and glory of your coming to take this world and to cast off the wicked darkness of this world and to assert a righteous rule. I pray tonight that you give us, Father, teaching, but more than that, may we get confidence in your plan that you are sovereign and you are also omnipotent. And you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Father, I pray that you'd help our hearts to receive and our minds to understand. Help me to preach with authority and with power. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, here we find what many writers call the climax of the book of Revelation. You know, a book builds to a climax, doesn't it? And here we have the book of Revelation. We have a lot, we've had a lot of neat things that are, I mean, amazing things. But I want you to see in verse 11, and I saw 
heaven opened. Can you imagine? I don't know exactly how what's going to happen, whether the clouds or what it's going to be, but the very heavens are opened, and here comes Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Can you imagine all this power, and he's coming down to just assert himself and to take to himself his kingdom that God has given to him. He's going to be made Lord of Lord and King of Kings of all creation, and he's coming to present himself, uh, and uh, sort of like somebody that's purchased something, and they've coming to claim it and to redeem it. And it, this idea of him presenting himself, let's remember the church has been raptured. Jesus did not come to the earth. He came in the clouds. Do not mix the rapture with what is going on here. This is the actual second advent of the Lord Jesus. What was the first advent? We call that Christmas. When Jesus was announced by the angels and they said, Unto you is born a child and his name shall be called. And all the things that we've heard a hundred times at Christmas. That is the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we find Jesus presented, revealed. Could I remind you, if you want to just put your finger here, go back to Revelation chapter 1, please. And I want you to see the very first verse of the book of Revelation afresh. The first two or three verses. Look at verse 1. This is how the book starts. The revelation. What does revelation mean? The revealing. The presenting to this earth. The revelation of who? Jesus, the Christ. Jesus Christ. What is the Christ? He is God's Messiah, the anointed one from eternity past, is being presented to this earth. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants which things must shortly come to pass. Do you notice, we went, if we go back and restudy this, we had a, I circled real big, which things must shortly come to pass. Think of God in heaven. These things are as surely written in our timeless God as they've already happened. These things must come to pass. Look at verse, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Remember John, the last of the twelve apostles on the island of Patmos is being given this revelation just like Daniel was in the Old Testament. Look at verse 2, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. So he bear record of the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. He bear record of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and of every one of those things that he actually got to see. Remember the promise in verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And what's the third part of the blessing? And they that keep those things which are written therein for the time is what? At hand. And so the book of Revelation is about the revealing of Jesus. And last week we ran across a verse that said that prophecy, Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so prophecy, all biblical prophecy, leads to pointing at Jesus Christ. And it leads to what we're talking about tonight. Jesus is going to come back and claim this world. Prophecy all points to this climax that we're at tonight. This is an important event in, in the scriptures. It introduces Christ. You might say, here's the introduction, here's the high point, and everything after this in chapter 20 is now an epilogue that flows back down. What a contrast between the first advent. When Jesus came at first, he was in humiliation. He was um, rejected. He suffered. He died. He resurrected. He ascended. And now he's back up in heaven preparing a place for us. What's going to happen here at this high point? The glory of God is revealed from heaven. And Jesus has come to judge the world and to assert in glory all of his power upon this earth. God has come to redeem the earth. God's kingdom is going to be set up. The earth is purged of rebellion. Can you imagine? In this passage of Scripture, it says he's going to rule with a rod of iron. He is going to rule, and there won't be anybody that uh, can question his word, for his word is law and his word is strong. All creation is now put underneath Jesus' feet officially. And in the first advent, he came, he said, peace, goodwill. But look what happens in the second advent. We find Armageddon. We have judgment. 
He has come to judge this earth, and he asserts himself. Look with me, please, to 2 Thessalonians for just a moment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Laying a lot of groundwork here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look, we please, at verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore, we also, well, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. And he goes on. This is, this is Paul talking about the Lord Jesus coming. What is he saying here? He says that he comes back in flaming fire to take vengeance. That's the character of this second coming that, uh, that we find here. So let's go back now to Revelation chapter 19. I saw the heavens open, and behold, a white horse. White uh, symbolizes purity, but most of the commentaries talk about a white horse in the days that this was written and revealed to be one of victory. Whenever you see somebody riding on a white charger and a horse, they usually are coming back having a victorious army that they're leading. They've just conquered. And so Jesus Christ is pictured as coming in victory to claim this world. He is the victor over sin. So it says he comes on a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Faithful and true. Think about it. In this world, how many times we vote somebody into office only to find out that they're corrupted, they don't keep their words. Sometimes they use terms like, read my lips, but their lips move, and they, and they change what they said. Jesus is not like that. Jesus is faithful, and he's true. And the idea here of true is that Jesus Christ is somebody that when he speaks... There's no guile, there's no, there, there's no second guessing, there's no, he left something out and didn't tell you the whole thing. He's faithful and he's true to who he is and what his calling is. It says that he comes, he's called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge. And so righteousness talks about the very character of how Jesus deals with things. He deals with things in a Godly, right way. Often when I think of righteousness and trying to explain that to somebody in a situation, uh, I think of a police officer being in a shootout with somebody and he kills somebody. That happens from time to time. You read in the news, so-and-so was shot by a policeman and the policeman has been suspended until an investigation. And at the end of the investigation, what you want to hear, if everything's like it's supposed to be a good police officer, they'll say he's had a righteous shooting. What is a righteous shooting? doesn't make the guy alive again. It just means everything that he was supposed to do, he went right by the book. He didn't lay some gun, gun down there. and He didn't shoot him in the back. He, didn't, you know, he did everything that he was supposed to do. And so when Jesus comes, he's faithful and true, and he judges in righteousness. He, he doesn't take bribes. He, 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 when he judges the world, it's not out of prejudice. If anything, we find that God loves this world, doesn't he? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse. So Jesus comes in this character of faithfulness and trueness and righteousness and he comes to judge. We've already laid that out. He's come to deal with mankind and to set up his kingdom. 
and eventually those that have been judged one way will have everlasting destruction and the others will have everlasting righteousness and, uh, and heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the verse that says, and in righteousness to make war. Several times in the last couple of chapters, we've seen that the angels or different ones call, call out to Jesus and they'll say, thou art righteous and true. In other words, what you're doing is exactly the righteous action. And we think of a war and all the actions of a war. It needed to be done. This world needed to be cleaned up. Sin needed to be judged. And so there's a righteous judgment and there's a righteous war that Jesus Christ comes to deal with here. Look at verse 12. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. These eyes pictured are the all-seeing, all-knowing eyes of our God. And it pictures about being flaming, that there is nothing that will not be revealed to our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that's convicting when you think about the Lord Jesus can see anything. Sort of like we think a Superman can see through anything, you know, his eyes can see right through the wall. Jesus can see right to the bottom of our hearts. Matter of fact, the Bible says the Word of God pierces even to the dividing of soul and sunder of spirit and truth. And Jesus is the Word of God. And with His eyes, He's able to judge righteous and true, and He looks into the hearts of men, and He brings judgment and war upon this earth. This is the character of Jesus Christ coming with full assurance and without doubt He comes to be that righteous judge. And His eyes see right through. And on His head... Notice in verse 12, head speaks of authority. On his head were many crowns. That word crowns, there's two words for crowns in the Bible. One word is the word stephanos. And that's the kind of crown that like Caesar would give out. It's the kind of crown that the Bible indicates when you and I get a crown, we get a stephanos. It's a reward from somebody above in appreciation down here. You'll get your crowns. And we cast our crowns back at the Lord. We cast our Stephanos back to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the word that we have here is not the word Stephanos. Instead, literally, if you took the letters in the Greek and put them over into English, diamonds. Bring forth the royal diadem. This word here is the word diamond. And what it indicates is a ruling authority that is put on his head. If we would go back and look at some of the verses, there were seven diamonds given to one of the bad, like the dragon and the Antichrist. Another one had ten. But how many does Jesus have? Many. And what this pictures is Jesus Christ has been given all authority upon his head are many diamonds. He, he has authority from everywhere. He has been given that by God the Father himself. And so he comes to, in righteousness to rule. And he's faithful and he's just. And he has that authority of many diamonds. In every area, Jesus is King and Lord. So when we think of him having many crowns, this is the idea that he is fully vested with the authority to do the job that he says he's going to do. He lacks no authority. He lacks no power. Upon his head are many crowns. Upon his head are many diadems. So, and this is next in verse 12. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Boy, you should see the commentaries on that. Bottom line that I can find and understand this is just simply an authority. We're thinking of authority here that God has given him that only God and he can understand. And when that name is spoken, that name moves mountains. And that name is one that he asserts and only he has it. And at that last day, he reveals that name that comes across. There's power in a name. Uh, this week I was thinking about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I woke up on, on uh, Monday morning and I was just thinking, how can I help our church? What, what, can we, what can we do? And I was reading through the book of Acts and I got to Acts chapter 3. We talked about the lame man being healed. And as the lame man was healed, um, the people looked at Peter. And they said, Peter, you have great authority and power. He said, oh, no, no. Do you know that guy that you crucified? 
You know that guy that was put in the grave and then God the Father raised him up? In that name, in the power of that name, this man has been made whole. There's power in a name. And Jesus Christ has a name here that's got authority that's given to him from God the Father. And this is sort of a, a mystery. What is a mystery? Something you see but you don't understand. Something that's been told but it's not been revealed. And so this is a name that's like that that only seems like Jesus understands it. Maybe John actually saw it. He said, what does that name mean? He couldn't quite understand. And so we're talking about the authority. He's faithful, he's just, he's true, he's righteous. He's crowned with many diadems, and he's been given a, ver a name that's very much an authority given to him between him and God the Father. We have a name that the Lord Jesus has, and in the power of that name, he is going to rule, reign, and judge. One of my things that, uh, as pastor over the years, you probably have heard me say this, when I pray and I get to the end of it, I never, ever get tired of saying, in Jesus' name, amen. And sometimes we just sort of skip that. We just go, in Jesus, uh, uh, Lord, help us you know, to, to have the food I need, amen. Oh, I tell you what, you got to sign the check. you got to have the authority. And I, I don't know that there's a magic wand, and it's not a horrible sin not to do it, but a long time ago, God reminded me, I have no authority outside of the name of Jesus. And so he's given a name. This is not a small thing. And I can't explain to you what that name is because it's not revealed. But it's a name of power. It's something that God has vested him in. And when the time comes, that name seems to be able to move mountains and do things that we can't understand. Look, if you will, please, in verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture. And this idea of he was clothed is in the perfect past tense, bringing forth continuing action. Jesus is now having on a vesture. The vesture would be like a robe that's upon him. And notice what that robe, it's interesting, it says it was dipped in blood. When I was younger and I saw dipped in blood, I thought of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But almost universally, it's interpreted that this Jesus, it seems around the fringe of his garment, you think of somebody treading a wine press, and up comes the grape juice up on the edge of the, of the garment. And Jesus is getting ready to tread, as it were, uh, the, the wine press of God's wrath, and it's dipped in blood. It's the blood of judgment that is foretold upon his very vesture that he has come, and this is the blood of those that are going to be judged. This is the blood of those. It's dipped in blood. You know, when Jesus comes and he deals with mankind, there's no second chance. There's no second chance. I've read all kinds of stories of people that shake their fist at God. You can read probably, if you typed it in on the internet tonight, those that would spite God and maybe rattle on whole things. Many years ago, there actually was a person that attended our church and went off to some Bible college training and got away from God. And I saw him later on write a big thing on the internet. I very seldom look, but this time somebody brought it to my attention. And he just wrote to God, I dare you, God, go ahead and send a lightning bolt down on me. It was interesting. About a month after I read that, he was driving down from Hickory, North Carolina, and he went off the road. His car tumbled and almost died. Listen, Jesus Christ can judge us. And Jesus Christ, in this case, his robe dipped in blood shows the character of the judging that he's going to be able to do. It's going to be a bloody judgment. Remember what's going to happen? The horse's reins, that's going to be the depth of the blood of the people, the winepress of God's wrath. And Jesus is going to be the one that comes and his vesture is dipped in blood. Go on, please. And his name is called the Word of God. Now, we can all have more than one name. My name is Pastor Butts. My name is Reverend Richard Butts. My name is Richard Dwayne Butts. My name is Richie. My name, we, they all say different things about me, don't they? If somebody comes up to me around church, you say, hey, Pastor. If I meet somebody from my past, they say, hey, Rich, how are you doing? If I meet somebody from my family and say, hey, Richie, they all have a different connection to me. 
but they're all my name. And so we find the Lord Jesus has a name that's not sort of revealed to us, and it reveals an authority, but then we find this other name, which is the very powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the Word of God. Look at it again there. It says, and his name is called the Word of God. John is the only one of the eight writers in the New Testament that calls Jesus the Word of God. Let's go back and look at John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, this is John writing, in the beginning was the Word. And who is that Word, by the way? Talk to me. Jesus, Jesus, okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. This verse is a very important verse. It speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. The Jehovah Witnesses like to put an extra word in this verse. Can I show you how they like to interpret it? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, uh, uh, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And that's that's grammatically incorrect. But what are they trying to do? They're trying to make Jesus like he was a later created being, but he is not of the level of God the Father. He is not. He was a God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by. Him, that's Jesus. And without Him, that's Jesus, the Word, was not anything made that was made. And Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehends it not. How did Jesus Christ make all things? By the power of His spoken Word. We saw that in this lifetime. He's in the boat, the waves are ridiculous. Jesus is down in the hinder part of the ship, sleeping. The disciples are rowing and doing everything they can. They finally said, Jesus is down there asleep. We need to go down. Master, Master, the tempest is raging. And Jesus comes up and he said, Peace, be still. Whoop. Colossae Sea. The power of the Word of God. By that word, Jesus spoke in all things were created, created. By that word, Jesus has authority. By that name, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. There's power in that name. And Jesus is the Word of God. And as we get further into this, these couple verses, we're going to find that Word has authority. When we think of Jesus coming with all these troops behind Him, we think, boy, they're going to come and they're going to have swords and all the rest. It doesn't picture that. It pictures Jesus speaking with the sword coming out of His mouth, which is the Word of God. And with that sword, He defeats. With His Word. Jesus is the Word of God. And we need to understand that. It's a whole different realm. Do you remember Michael and Gabriel? They're arguing with Satan and they're wrestling and they dare not rebuke, but they rebuked him in the name of Jesus. You see. We, we have no authority outside of that name. And so let's go back, please. Well, we don't want to get done here. Let's go, we're still in John chapter 1. Look at verse 14. And the Word was made flesh. What's that called? Incarnation. That's Christmas. Amen? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But let's just jump back now, please, to verse 11. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, that's the word, that's Jesus, that's the light. They're all referred to that. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on what? His name. In Jesus' name we're saved. 
Let's go back now to the book of Revelation chapter 19. His name is the Word of God. It's an authority. It's a power that he has. He is the very power of the Godhead to speak. Look at verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. So who's in this army? Well, I think, first of all, it's the redeemed church. Amen? Notice that they were clothed in fine linen and white, white and clean. Let me grab my reference here. I'm going to have to turn my page just a little bit. I can't find my reference. The other group that's with them is the angels. We'll come across to when I get it a little bit later here in the message. But we have the church, the redeemed saints coming to rule and reign with them. And the Bible says the angel host come with him <coughs> to rule and to reign. Look at verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. And what is that sword? It is the word of God. When Jesus comes to fight, he fights with his word. We can't imagine that. We're looking for bazookas. We're looking for nuclear weapons. We're looking for all these things, but the spoken word. Let me give you a lighthearted illustration. When I walk into my house, I'm slowly getting electronic. Are you guys getting electronic? And I can walk in my house and I say, Siri, turn the plugs on. And when he does, boop, the lamps go on in our house. And then if I want to find out something, I say, Alexa. And Alexa, I ask her a question. You know, what's the temperature out? I do that in the morning quite often. Alexa, what's the temperature out? I ask her this morning, 56. I said, I'm going back to bed. Okay. That was just too, a little too cold for me to get started. My wife goes, yes, 56. I'm saying, good, 56. Okay. The power of spoken word. Can you imagine if Alexa can do it? <laughs> and if Siri can do it, think of the power of Jesus speaking. Amen? And listen, a little side note. Jesus has told us that we can pray to him in his name. And he can move mountains. There's power in our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Christians, this ought to give us a renewed sense, not of cockiness, but of faith and confidence when we pray in the Lord's name. Don't doubt him. Trust him. Believe in him. Believe in that name. It's the name that saved our souls. It's the name that can move mountains, and it's the name that can take care of your need. Maybe you have a need tonight. Take it to Jesus. And in his name, ask God to move mountains for you. I would challenge you. Let's go out, please. Verse 15, out of his mouth, goeth a sharp sword. That was that he with it should smite the nations. So who's the one smiting the nations? Is it all the people behind him? What is smiting? The sword that goes out of his mouth is the one that's smiting the nations. And after he smites the nations, what's he going to do? He's going to rule them with a rod of iron. What is this idea of ruling them with a rod of iron? Well, this is not a, a stick. This is not a, uh, this is talking about an authority that's unyielding, unbending, and those that will not submit, bam, they'll be dealt with. I've heard many, many stories of people that were in the one-room schoolhouses and maybe under some of the old Catholic nuns, I've heard of this. When a child didn't behave, they would say, stick out your knuckles. And some of you have seen the old wooden 18-inch rulers, and those old teachers would come down, whack on the back of your, maybe that's why all these people have arthritis like this now so bad, I don't know. But I tell you what, can you imagine that wood, uh, that wood ruler coming down on your knuckles? It would smart. I think you learned these big big boys, Miguel, might learn to behave uh, like they're supposed to in class, and they won't smart off. Jesus has a rod of iron. Elsewhere it says, and he breaks them in shivers. It's a picture of a clay pot having this rod fall upon him, and there's no resistance to it. Jesus will rule them with a rod of iron. I've read many times over the years that the best leader of a world 
would be a benevolent dictator. What's benevolent mean? Somebody that's truly good, Benny. Benny means good. Somebody that wants the very best for the people he rules. Jesus Christ in his faithful, righteous, true nature coming to rule and in his strength he rules as a good leader. But he is the leader. He rules with a rod of iron and there's not going to be during this thousand years great rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ and there's going to be nobody that can stand against the Lord Jesus when Armageddon takes place. He rules with a rod of iron. Notice on. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So remember how God has determined that this world needs to be judged, pictured as them all being put into a press, and that they need to go through that press to be revealed who they are and then to be judged. Jesus is pictured here as the judge that sits upon the throne, and he is treading out the, the judgment. He is stomping on the grapes. He is bringing forth literally the blood of those that need to be judged and condemned. He treads on the, on the winepress of God's wrath. Uh, often I think of Abraham Lincoln, he, uh, uh, the song, uh, Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. He our God is marching on. He treads the, the winepress of God's wrath that speaks of in that, in that, that song. And in verse 16, it says, he hath on his vesture, and there we go back to this clothing, written, not only is there blood, but on his vesture and on his thigh. So written down his side of him, you see this, it's written upon his, his vesture and upon his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is, doesn't say the King of Kings, it says, King of Kings. That may be a subtle thing in our ear, but this says who he is. It speaks of his very nature. He is the King. He is Lord. Whether you or I recognize him voluntarily as King or Lord makes no difference. He is King of Kings. Who made him that way? God the Father has appointed him ruler over all. And here he's presented in, in all this. Well, let me go through some things then. Let's speak of the names just quickly of the Lord Jesus Christ. What names is he given? In that name, there are a lot of power. He's given the name Faithful. Faithful, one you can count on. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. That name is immutable. What does that mean? Unmoving. That name is perfect holiness. Second name, true. That means he's real and he's genuine. He's ideal. He's the opposite of imperfect. Jesus is true. A name that we cannot know, that means that he has more power than we can imagine. Unrevealed, unmatched reserves in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The name, the word of God. The perfect manifestation of the character and the power of God given as a title that goes forth in power from his mouth and no one can resist the word of God. No one can resist Jesus. And then we find the Lord Jesus called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I, you must be frustrated. I just realized my microphone fell. How long ago did that frustrate you? Okay. I'm sorry. You should have signaled at me that I was uh, uh, offline, okay? I'm sorry, my fault. King of kings, Lord of lords. The character and quality of his rule. Once again, we don't see it in our English language, but this name king of kings is in what we call the perfect continuing tense. Let me tell you what perfect means. Perfect means because of an action in the past, there was a continuing fulfillment that goes like an arrow that never stops. He is perfectedly been appointed King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he'll rule and reign in that character forever. So there's much power in a name. Let's talk about the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Picture with eyes that he sees. 
And he sees to the bottom of our soul in flame, they're searching deep and the flaming eyes speaking of judging eyes, discerning eyes, nothing can be held back from them. Upon his head are the diadems and those diadems are the authority of God. Take your hymn book for just a moment and I'd like us just to think of the diadem. Turn to number 46. Mrs. Butts, could you slip up here for a moment or, or, or Jerry, I don't care which one. Number 46. Here we have him with all these diadems on his head. And let's just sing one verse of crown him with many diamonds. I mean crowns. All right. 46. Crown him with many crowns. The Lamb upon his throne. In the future, I want you to remember it's crowning him with many diamonds. And think of the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. His robe dipped in blood, his appearance, speaking of one that comes to judge sin with authority and power. And his power to battle over all things. He's pictured not as the slain lamb, but he's pictured as the trampling judge that brings all things. From his mouth is that sharp sword that nothing can oppose, and he, we will be judged by his word. What's his, what's his army? His army is the angel host. It's the redeemed bride. They follow him. They're on white victorious horses. We have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in white linen, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it says white and clean. And that's the character of those that follow the Lord Jesus. We stand in victory in holiness and righteousness like the one that leads the pack. And we stand in his authority. What is Jesus' authority? Look at all the names of his authority. He has the name, what authority? King of kings. Lord of lords. He has the right. He has got the royal diamonds all over his head. Every kind of authority has been given to him. From his mouth, there's the authority of the sharp sword that will smite all the nations. Nobody can resist him. There's no pocket of resistance. This sword has all authority and power. He will rule. Jesus Christ will be the one that sits upon the throne. It'll be a different earth. Remember in my introduction tonight, I talked about we've had Gentile history. This is the end of the Gentile rule of this earth. Satan has been pushed off. Jesus has been given all creation. It's been redeemed unto himself. He's claimed the bride. Now he comes to judge the world and righteousness will rule and reign. And it starts with a thousand years. Amen? So we find he's come to rule with that rod of iron, that absolute strength that's unbreakable. And he's seen as pictured as the treading the wine press of God. And by the way, that idea that he's tread the wine press is in the present continuing idea. Anybody that would come against God, he will be tread through. He will be judged. And so the Lord Jesus comes in all that authority. A lot of things we could see. Our Jesus has come. He has come to claim this world. He has asserted himself. But let's look at a few passages to end tonight. Would you go back to Matthew chapter 24? Matthew chapter 24. This is um, the sermon on the Olivet, Mount Olivet uh, speech of Jesus. He reveals this just before he's taken up into heaven. The Olivet Discourse. Look at verse 15. Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 15. And when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. Stop. Those that are in my Bible class, I should stop and get Tony or McGill. The abomination of desolation is when in the middle of the seven years, Antichrist destroys the Jewish worship and he tries to assert himself and rewrite history that he is God, okay? So 
this is not talking about the rapture of the church. This in the Olivet Discourse is talking Jewish history. All right, so let's look at it, please. Look at verse 15. When therefore ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee unto the mountain. Let them which are in the house top not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in his field return back to take his clothes. This is talking about Jesus coming back. Second return, not rapture. Have you, maybe, when I was a young Christian, I applied these to the wrong event. This is after the desolation, after this abomination. This is in the tribulation. You and I, the church is gone. We need to understand that. Verse 19. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, except the tribulation is not longer than it is, it's shortened. There should be no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. But there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall sow signs and wonders, insomuch as it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you, therefore, before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. But now look at verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What is this event referring to? Jesus coming. When Jesus comes, what we just read in the book of Revelation, it'll come like a lightning bolt out of heaven. It'll be that quick. And whoso, wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. I think that's talking about the battle of Armageddon. And immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall be not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and there shall appear in the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Jesus is going to appear in the heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heaven to the other. We see Jesus talking about these things. Look at chapter 25. The Olivet Discourse keeps going on. We're going to look over at chapter, verse 31. Verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come, in his glory and all the holy angels with him. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate the one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. And he shall set his sheep on his right hand but the goats on his left. He's judging the world. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was and hungered, and, and it goes through the passage that we would often say uh, we go through. One last passage of scripture. Turn to Psalm chapter 2, please. Psalm chapter 2. Look at verse 6. We read part of this two weeks ago. But in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, it says this. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Who's the king? Jesus. Where does he sit? The holy hill of Zion, Jerusalem. Yet have I set Jesus to rule over this world. That's what he's talking about. I will declare the decree. Who's the one that's going to say this is God will make the decree and Jesus will come forth as king? The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, 
and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Now, this is talking to the kings, but I can tell you what, I think it's talking to you and me tonight as we learn all about this prophecy and that Jesus is king. We say, amen, he's coming, he's powerful. This psalm tells us what our mentality ought to be toward the king of kings. Serve the Lord with fear. What is that fear? It's the understanding that he is king of kings, lord of lords. He will rule, he will judge, and none can resist it. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then look at verse 12. I remember hearing a message years ago on this. Kiss the son. What does that mean? Embrace Jesus. Have you kissed Jesus? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Have you let him be your master and your king? Are you kissing him or are you slapping him? Are you bringing him near or are you pushing him away? What do we learn? Fear him. Rejoice in him. Kiss the son. What a wonderful picture. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Isn't that a wonderful psalm? Have you put your trust in Jesus? So yeah, pastor, I accepted Christ a long time ago. In the last six weeks, have you been putting your trust in Jesus? Kiss the son. Jesus is coming. Lord of lords, king of kings, power to rule. His name is the word of God. Omnipotent, unchanging God. He's going to rule this world for all eternity and his church will come with it. One day we will be victorious. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Amen? This is a wonderful thing. It's the climax of the book of Revelation. The king has come. Next week, we're going to unfold the first judgment, and that's called Armageddon. And then we're going to see the judgment as two of the primary characters are cast into the lake of fire. And the Lord begins his rule and reign upon this world, and he sets up the kingdom of the millennium. We've got a lot of wonderful things. The end of book of chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 21, and I tell you, some wonderful invitation at the end of the book of Revelation. Come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me, it says three times in the, in the last chapter of Revelation. Come and drink. Come ye that are thirsty. Come unto me. Could I say to you tonight, come unto the Lord Jesus. Fear ye him. Kiss the Son. He is King. He is Lord of Lords. Let's bow our heads, please. Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that you'd help us all to realize your authority. Heavenly Father, Jesus, your Son, I pray tonight that we would lovingly yield our hearts and our submit our wills and allow you to rule as you are truly Lord in our life. Father, we trust you. We know that you are going to deal with all these things in this world. And we know one day you're coming for us. Help us, Lord, to live lives that show we believe it. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder how many here tonight could say, Pastor, there was a day that I bent my knee to the King of Kings. And I said, Jesus, I recognize you are God. And I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Pastor, there's no doubt in my heart, I have kissed the Son. I have asked Him to be my Savior. If I died right now, I know I'm right with Him. I'm saved. If you know that and you're sure of it, could you raise your hand as a testimony to that? Okay. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I've submitted my heart to Jesus yet. But tonight, what I've seen, that he is king of kings, lord of lords, and none can resist him, and he'll come in, in power to rule and reign, and with just his word, he will divide the nations. 
Say, Pastor, tonight I need to come to Jesus as my Savior. Say, Pastor, I need to ask him to my heart. I want to do that tonight. Could you slip your hand up tonight where I could see it? Pastor, I need Jesus Christ in my heart. Let me ask you then as Christian, most every hand went up earlier. You say, Pastor, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. But there are some things that I need to make right with God. I don't know why I've allowed them to stay in my life, but one day God's flaming eyes will pierce through into the very depths of my heart and he'll see that I've got things that I've allowed and tolerated and in the knowledge of the fear of God I need to say Lord I need to make some things right with you pray for me is there someone like that tonight amen amen Pastor, I'm a Christian, but I, I know those piercing eyes and judgment of God. I know he sees even in my heart tonight. Pray for me. Is there somebody else? Amen. Pray for me. Lord, you've seen our hearts, and I pray that as we would give our invitation tonight, that there would be a humbling of hearts before you. In Jesus' name, amen.